just work on the basis we are live. Uh, it's been 13 seconds since launch. Welcome to the uh, the first program, uh, first broadcast for Gobsmacked, which is um, yep. a grumpy old businessman who pull no punches. And so welcome, uh, firstly, to uh, Patrick and my, uh, well, let you do your own intro, mate. <laughs> we look like brothers. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, I love your hairstyle. Yeah, cool. <laughs> um, so, but we rock it, don't we? We rock it. Yeah, mate, between the two of us, we've got about 70 years in business and over 120 years on this planet. So that gives us, um, I'm not sure what that gives us the qualification to do, but it certainly gives us the qualification to get on here and have a chat. And if people see um, value in it, then, um, then great. Come back, watch again, subscribe. Uh, if you have any questions or comments or criticisms or whatever about anything we're saying at any time, chuck it in the comments. We'll respond. And, um, you know, if, if you're a sort of person who is looking to do something more in your business or in your life and you see something, you know, something resonates with you and you'd like to actually come on one of these calls with us, that's possible too. Hey, um, let's, you know, we'll, we'll go and die, <laughs> diagnose, dissect whatever your business or your personal problem is most preferably business, but you know, then again, business and personal is uh, always the same as people who know me know. That's right. So, um, mate, we were just, just before we came on, we were talking about reframing. Um, <laughs> we, we, yeah. we, we've been nattering away for a while. Thinking, oh, that's the whole show, you know, like let's just get, get going with this. Um, but we were talking about reframing and um, you had a great example the other day we chatted about with regard to um, uh, mechanic shop. You want to tell us about that one? Yeah. Yeah, look, I was working as a business consultant for Bartercard and I called into this uh, mechanic and he was a potential client, you see. So we were talking away and it turns out he, in those days, because we're talking um, 2004, five, and he had a yellow pages ad. It cost him $5,000 for the half page ad. He did the right thing though. He had a telephone dedicated to the, the phone number on the ad so he could test and measure and monitor it. And so I asked him, how many paid jobs did he get from that $5,000 ad and the cost, not including the cost of the line, of course, and he said he got 50. So I said, well, the cost of those customers before you even did any work on it was $100 each. That's your, what we call your cost of acquisition. Yep. And it stuns me that yeah. so many business people out there do not understand what a cost of acquisition is. It, in other words, how much does it cost you to get that client into the door before you sell anything to make a markup, let alone a profit? Okay, markup and profit, two different things. Totally. So I said, look, yeah, my, look, my background is automotive parts and I know the cost of all the things that you do in a service, the cost of your spark plugs, your oil, your filters, etc. And I can tell you, Rough, right at the top of my head in those days, $37.50 an hour. That's for six spark plugs. For some cars are a V8, some cars are a four. Let's go to the middle. It's a six-cylinder. You're going to need air, fuel, and, and uh, oil filter. You're going to need four and a half litres of fuel uh, oil, and you're going to need your um, uh, uh, apprentice to work on the car. Now, that's going to cost you $37.50. You could advertise in the local paper and put a sandwich board out the front saying the first 50 customers to come in the door will get a free service. Now, that's cheaper than using yellow pages, right? So he did. And within a week, he had those 50 customers and he discovered extra work that those cars needed to do. From then on, he got profit out of those jobs. But it wasn't, he was getting it for about $14 cheaper than using the yellow pages. 
Hmm. And, you it know, is, there is this whole concept of, of time is time. Oh, I've got a lot of feedback. I'm not sure what that's about. Um, there is that whole concept yeah. of, um, you know, the total, there's the total value of a total lifetime value of a client. So there yep. is an, uh, there is a, feel, a school of thought that says, hey, if, um, if I get a client in on this lost lead, but I can keep him for five years, then it's been worthwhile. And um, that worked. That worked okay for a lot of people for a lot of time, um, especially in the space of you know dot coms and everything. But quite frankly, you know, these days, especially you, you, you don't have that luxury of saying, okay, well, I'm going to go and uh, uh, make a make a loss up front from my app, just purely from my advertising cost by acquiring and acquiring mm. that way. You, there need there needs to be more than just break even, and certainly not a loss situation going on. But so I see so many businesses doing that. They're out there spending loads of money in different areas, just buying yeah. up, buying clients. And and the reality is that the client's going to see another bright shiny something somewhere else doing the same damn thing you do. And if you don't service them well, which hey surprise surprise surprise, so many businesses don't, then you're not going to keep them for very long. So your return on your investment. And that's the whole point. It's about when you say servicing them, it's another way of saying that is developing the relationship with them. Yeah, absolutely. So that you understand their position. You know, go on. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, one of my pet peeves is people who talk about customer relationship management, you know, CRM. Um, for yeah, me, CRM yeah. is about customer recreation management. I'm not playing word games here. It's just that every, for every interaction you do, Every interaction you have with a client, you are recreating that relationship, and you're either recreating it crap, or you're recreating it really, really well, or totally indifferent. But you, it, it's a bit of an That's arrogant right. position to think that you can manage something you don't own. In order to be able to manage it, you need to own it, um, and you don't own the relationship. There are two parties there. Yeah, and and look, people are so a lot of business people are so concerned with the widget or the service that they're providing. When in reality, it's just the the, uh, the connection with the client, right? Do you have? Can you scratch their itch? Can you ease their pain? And can you do it on a regular basis? And do you understand them? And do they like you? And yep. it's not about the widget. It's not about the service. It's about your connection with your customers. Absolutely, totally. everything no is about that. No one gives a crap what you do. Why you do what you do, they might get people through the door. You know, phenomenal purpose, love what you love, love why you do it, why you're in business. They'll get people coming through the door. What you do, who gives a crap? A million other people do that. How you do what you do, the experience you give people, the interaction, that, that is what keeps them coming back. Spending more and more often telling other people to do the same thing. And and talking to asking questions, not talking at them, but asking questions. And because people love to talk about themselves. Yes. And and the more you ask questions, the more you find out what their situation is. And you might suddenly find out, you know what, I've got something else that works for you. And suddenly you've got two products or services going to them instead of just the one, simply by creating a relationship, talking to them and asking them, asking questions. And that's, you know, that's what it's all about. And that's what it comes back to what I was saying about reframing the question. Mm-hmm. Um. For example, in this current coronavirus situation, um, there are a lot of companies that are going to go belly up, businesses that are going to go belly up, right? unless, of course, they can. Enough comes from the government to assist them. But aren't they but being? There will be those. If, sorry, aren't they being hired? What was that? 
<laughs> yeah, well, maybe, you know, the government says they're going to pay them to hibernate, you know. Whatever that means. Anyway, sorry, the is, you're right. But the thing is, if you're clever, if you think ahead and if you plan around what's going on right now, this very moment, and reframe the whole situation, you can find ways to get through it. We often talk about, um, for example, uh, Sun Tzu and the art of war. Yep. So the concept of reframing a situation goes back many thousands of years. And the current guy that I'm reading, his book is called Reframe, and uh, he talks about, for example, uh, the Vietnam War. So the first lot of generals go in and they think it's all about confrontation, battles, face-to-face, that fails. So what do they do? They start looking at what the real problem is. And it was about gaining the the um, the love and support and acceptance and belief of and from the local people, the villagers, because they were the ones that were supporting the insurgents and the terrorists and the, the Viet Cong. They were supporting them. But once they changed their tactics, once they reframed the whole situation and the question, suddenly they started to get a foothold. Unfortunately, those generals were then kicked out, more generals came in, and then they, they lost that. But my point is, those generals that were succeeding had simply reframed the whole question. They started to look at it from a political situation, not a war situation, from a community service situation rather than war, and they suddenly made inroads. We do the same thing with business. We stopped looking at, uh, you stop using the magnifying glass and looking at the pedal, move the focus back, look at the flower, move the focus back, look at the garden, move the focus back, look at the paddock, move the focus back, and you see the mountains in the background. By changing your focus, you start to see more of the picture, not just the pedal. You follow what I mean? Oh, totally, mate. Yeah, listen, um, I've pissed off enough people over this this, uh, last few decades talking about taking a helicopter view. And um, yes, where they they all just want to dive, dive really deep into, into the minutiae. Um, and I'm yeah. going to pull back and take a look. You know, um, one one of the things I was there's a book I read from um, is it Warren Blair. Uh, it's a phenomenal book. Mm-hmm. On, you know, he, he does a lot about uh, influence and psychology and stuff like that. And he had this book that you can only get the PDF online these days um, about how sect, you know, the religious sects and other S E C T S right sects. Yes. Yep. Um, uh, and 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 similar these these cults get people to go and commit mass suicide, and um, you know the, the the traditional thinking is the and most people will go and say oh they're crazy they were brainwashed they were on drugs they're uh, hypnotized they're whatever right like there was that one there was yep. that one cult can't remember the name of them but they um they all went and committed mass suicide uh, because you know they wanted to transition to the aliens who were going to take them all away. But of course, and of course, mass you know, mainstream media and, and, and everybody pretty much said, well, you know, they've got to be crazy, they've got to be drugged, they've got to be whatever. <clears throat> the classic case of reframing, Blair's Blair's perspective on it was as soon as you label, and I, I, I agree with this, as soon as you label something crazy or whatever it is that gives you finality, you know, and, and closure for your own self mm-hmm. to a certain incident, as soon as you label it, you Cease your ability to understand it, and it's the same. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah, and so, same with business. As soon as you label something as you know 
oh, it's, a, it's, it's tragic, it's catastrophic, it's impossible, it's not able to be done, whatever. And the same is, by the way, in life. As soon as you do that, mm -hmm. you cease your ability or you close off all possibilities to understand how you can approach it from a different perspective, how you can get through it, how you can change it, how you can transform it. And look at that guy from, um, what was it, the distillery in Marrickville, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. A gin distillery, right? Now, in, in times when pubs and clubs and everything are being shut down, and, of course, there are still bottle shops, but, hey, how many of them are staying open selling this stuff? I don't know. But, um, uh, you know, there's not much call for gin right now, not in pubs and clubs. So he's left there with a distillery he can't use. What's he do? He starts thinking about uh, making hand sanitizer. It's the same base alcohol mixed with gel, 70% alcohol, 30% gel, right? And just as he was, uh, you know, in the process, he and his team were in the process of thinking about it, they get a call from some um, therapist, physician, whatever, in the, in the respiratory space saying, can we get some hand sanitizer? You've gone locked up on me. So anybody that's watching this, we'll just um, wait nice. until uh, Paul's tech comes back online. There he is. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> all those, yeah, obviously it was mine, right? Obviously it was mine. So clearly all those gems have just gone missing in a garbled whatever and no one on, on anywhere is going to see it. Great. Bandwidth. It's floating in the ether. Yeah. Somewhere. So right? you don't, don't start, don't start me on the NBN. No. All the billions no. we spent <laughs> were still slower than, than um, yeah, Kazakhstan. I tell you, no, yeah, NBN stands for No Bloody Network. No Bloody Network. You yeah. know what? Um, back when um, back when I was in the US ages ago, uh, early nineties, right, uh, mid nineties, whenever it was, Gore was Gore was off in Africa uh, because the US had put fiber optic around the African content, and that, he was off in Africa talking to all the dictators and saying, you know, you got to come mm -hmm. across to democracy. Uh, and the dictator is saying, why would I come across a democracy? And he said, well, we'll give you internet. And he's like, well, why would I want internet? And they're like, well, if you have internet, you because know, if, if I give my people internet, then they're going to go online and, and badmouth me. And Gore was pretty simple and straightforward and said, well, if you don't, your neighbour over there, another dictator has just come on board with, you know, come on the program. He's got internet. All your people are going to dial up to his country and badmouth you anyway. So the African continent had better internet than we did, than we have pretty much. They had it back in the late 90s. And like I said, Kazakhstan is faster than us. And I think I'm right frozen now. again. This is going on. <laughs> no, no, you're still there. No, you're still there. Oh, good. Okay. So, so yeah, so yeah, no, so, no I mean, bloody network. But getting back to this situation, I mean, we, you, what you were talking about was standing back from a situation right, so that you can use your peripheral vision to see the whole story. Like I was saying, stop using a magnifying glass to look at a problem, stand back. And the other thing I would say is too is that 
when you if you have a business where you've got people working for you, now these people are at the coalface, and they ain't dumb, okay? Even if they vote for Trump, um, don't. But they're not dumb. No, no. That was a joke. He's a lovely man. Um, you need to ask them questions about what's happening within the business, not just rely on yourself thinking you're the font of all information. You have a team of people, even the sweeper and the cleaner. You know, Henry Ford used to walk around and he'd talk to people on the floor of where they made the cars. And if somebody said, you know, Mr. Ford, if we did this, this and this, we would save 10 minutes per car or we could do this more cheaply. He would then hand that person money there on the spot saying thank you and it would implement it. That's the brilliance of the... There are aspects of Henry Ford I'm not really happy about, but that sort of thing he was brilliant at, you know. So he could actually take the information from the people on the floor and utilise it as the next step up the ladder on his business. And that's what people need to do. Look at these people. See how, how and why they were successful and mirror that instead of just trying to do it your own way because you're belligerent and rambunctious about it. There's a word for you. But look at these people and say, how did they get to where they're going? And then look at their life story and find out, and you'll find that there are keys in there, real keys yep. on how to do it. Well, it's, it's interesting because it's people of our generation and older and possibly 10 years earlier or 10 years younger. They, At least in, in, in my interactions with people, I've found a lot of people are uh, arrogant about asking people to work for well. them. They also feel a bit of fear that they have to have all the answers, yet there are a lot of young people, young business owners, who, although they, you know, we, we old farts, we like to think they sound arrogant, quite frankly, they're doing a better job in that space, you know. Um, yeah, they're arrogant yep. from the context, from seeing from the context of, you know, the way we were brought up. Um, nonetheless, they're still going out and crowdsourcing information about how to develop their business a lot better than a lot of the old farts. And um, given this whole corona thing, there are a lot more people who were going to retire, uh, baby boomers especially, who were going to retire, who have to remain in the workforce, uh, have to keep their businesses going because their, their superannuation has just gone to shit in a, you know, in a handbasket. Uh, and they they need to keep and they need to build it up again or build up some assets to go further. They you know people people in, of our generation older and a little bit younger need to get on board with that idea that you know what you just said because um, I totally agree. People, your people in your business see your business from a different perspective, and they have yeah. ideas. You know, um, and God, it dates back to the seventies and eighties, where you know the idea box and all the rest of it. But quite a lot of the time, that was more lip service than anything else. Some companies really took it to, took it on board, but your people have great ideas. You know, I remember working with Aegon Insurance in the Netherlands, great company. Um, the team I was working with, the team I was managing at the time, um, they were the so-called superstars, and they had phenomenal ideas. The problem is they had bad PR within the business. Everybody thought they were arrogant pricks. But the, prop, the problem was they were pretty arrogant because they knew they were trip stars. And mm-hmm. but, so they were justly you know, arrogant in a way. And they had great ideas. It's just the great ideas got ignored because no one wanted to listen. Yeah, look, I'm not, I'm not talking about um, making a committee process out of this because that'll get you nowhere. It, <laughs> but it is simply yeah. about talking. You know, you just end up with a camel. Yeah. Because um, the camels are built by committee, they reckon. 
But the point I'm making, though, the point I'm making, though, is um, by in, engaging those people who are actually doing the job, whether it's sales or whether it's service or whether it's manufacturing or whether it's design, whatever it is, these people are intimately involved with the process. You're not. You're up there in the in the upper atmosphere and you're not down there where they are. So they see things in ways that you don't. So it's about engaging them and that has more than one benefit. Apart from you learning, of course, you now they're now able to invest themselves emotionally in the business, that they have an input, that they're respected, that they're valued, their opinion, et cetera. And so now you're building a valuable team, not just employer-employee, but a valuable team all working towards one goal. And so yeah. you need to start speaking to people, yeah. engaging them. Yeah. Too often, yeah. And, and some, especially some the people. older ones, people oh, regard them as lost. Go on, Say again? I'm finished. No, okay. I said, just, I'm just saying that feedback. too often, yeah, now we've got, a, we've got a bit of a lag as well. We should probably say over at the end of each sentence. Over. I feel like funny on Skippy. Over. <laughs> oh, I forgot where I was now. I've blown I gonna, it. I'm out of the water. You know, some of the smartest businessmen, is, you know, this is a generalisation because it goes the other way as well, but some of the smartest business people I know and also they are also some of the wealthiest ones I know, uh, and they do actually outnumber the wealthy, you know, educated ones. The ones smart, some of the smartest ones I know haven't graduated in high school. Uh, some didn't graduate year ten, mm. some didn't graduate year twelve. And, what, and the, the one thing, and this is this is you know across a large number of people, the one thing that differentiates them, distinguishes them from you know all all other people, is comes back to something you said earlier, and that is they know how to ask. Questions, or they know. Yeah. First, first point is they know who ask questions, and they've learned how to ask better questions all the time because they they knew they didn't have the education that the people they hired in had, and one of the reasons they hired the people in was because they had the education in a certain area. So they got mm -hmm. they 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 dropped out of school earlier. They started the business. They started employing people and got the education down the track through the people they employed. Yep. Yeah. You know, uh, there's, uh, I don't, I'm not going to promote a business, but I'll just, I have to say the name so it makes sense because, to the story. There are two things, for example, because it just fits in with, with listening to customers and reframing the whole thing that we're talking about. There are two things. Where's the, where's the camera? It's just like a bloody mirror. There are two <laughs> things that, People don't like about tradies. I bet you could tell me right now. But one is they either don't turn up or they're late. And two, they're dirty. They leave the site unclean. Okay? That's the two things above all else that people hate about tradies, right? And so this guy, and he has set himself up with a business, and the business is called The Clean Plumber. I know. Then they're phenomenal. They're out on Windsor Road. Mm. Uh, uh, between um, Blacktown and, and Richmond, there, on Windsor Road there. And, and he has this blurb and it says that, you know, we know that you people, that our customers don't like tradies who are late or don't turn up and who leave the place dirty. So 
he offers that if his um, uh, plumbers don't turn up within 20 or 30 minutes or something of the of the appointed time, they get a 20% discount. And his plumbers will always remove their boots or at least roll out a, a, those clear plastic runners to and from the, the bathroom or whatever they're doing and leave your house at least as clean as it was before they turned up. Mm. That guy is putting on truck after truck after truck because he gets not only the business from his adverts suggesting that, but he gets word of mouth because he's addressed two problems, right, that society knows exists with the average trading and he's answered the question by yeah. saying, I'm on time and I'm yeah. clean. I wonder which one started. Right? I, didn't know, I didn't know there was a clean, when you said clean plumber, I was like, oh, yeah, cool, because I didn't know there was one in Australia. I know the one there's one in America and um, slightly different. He, he, he does... What does he do? He does, uh, if, if his people are late, you know, every five minutes they're late, there's X percent goes off the bill. And if they're a certain amount of time late, the bill's free. Um, they, he's, he's had these um, cover over shoes fashioned, like they're made out of wetsuit material or something. They go over the boots. Um, mm -hmm. So they put these on their boots as they come in the house. So it's always clean. And if they leave the site, uh, well, firstly, you know, you they don't leave the site normally until someone signs, you know, signs off that it's all clean, um, and they yep. point that out. And if they leave the site early, then again, you know, there's discounts or whatever. It's, it's about trust. Yeah, because you're right. Yes, and, you know, and we think it's trade easy. Yep, they've asked a question, but in this case, the question has been uh, has been asked by observation and by awareness. They haven't actually asked people a question, but it, it, the situation remains the same. They're aware of everybody's attitude about tradies. I mean, why should it take 12 months to build a house, right? It should only take two to three months. It's not rocket science. But they're all off doing other things, and they, and they leave that property for six, seven weeks at a time. Build a damn house in two months, you know, three months max, not 12. I mean, the average house, not a mansion. So tradies have a reputation, and this guy has answered the reputation brilliantly. And he is his business is growing at a phenomenal rate. And that's 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 a good point. Something I've talked about find out what it is people absolutely hate about your industry. And when you ask that of a client, mm -hmm. quite often they can't answer it. They're like, Well, what do you mean? What do you mean? I don't know. What do people hate? You know, like oh. well, and then they and then quite often they come up with, Well, this is what they hate, but we don't do that. Well, it's not a question of not doing. That's sort of like being neutral. What do you do, yeah. which is the other side of it? You can be, you know, because there's the there's the dirty feet and all the rest of it and they're coming late. Well, yeah, we're, we're sort of on time and, you know, we're on time and we, we, we're clean and now people know that. Well, really, do they? How about you take it to an extreme and go further or not? If, you, you know, if you're on time and you are clean and all the rest of it, and how about offering a guarantee about it? Go and put your neck out, put your cock on the block sort of thing and just go and say, you know, We'll give a guarantee about it because that's what this guy's done with the yeah. uh, plumber. And he's built his brand around the name because the name reflects his attitude and function of his business. Yeah. So he's branding himself on not just the quality of workmanship but the quality of the relationship as well. Yeah. yeah. So that's and, what we need to do. We need to really connect with customers. Hey? And he's building trust. Trust is becoming the yeah, only real currency right now. You know, doesn't matter what 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 um, fiat currency you use in your country. The only real currency for actually getting business across the line has always been, and especially now, is trust. 
We see it with everything that's happening in government. We see it with people in business and the rest of it. Um, will you deliver? Yeah. And will you that's deliver? right. Look, I've had a situation. I've had a situation recently. I've got a car and it has a particular problem, and now the mechanics had it on and off for two weeks, five days at a time, and I pick it up on the weekend so I can use it. Still hasn't found the problem. Now you have to ask yourself, what? Why am I going back to him? All right. Um, he has not even bothered, really, to do a proper diagnosis. He sent it off to he what he said was the greatest auto electrician in the Tweed area up here, and he couldn't find the problem. So you've got to ask yourself, why are these people not even talking to me, calling me up on a daily basis saying, this is what we've done, this is what we've done, this is what we've done. At least I'd know their process. At least I'd know they're looking at it. For all I know, they could have been sitting in the yard the whole week and done nothing to it. So I might be going back to them. It's about communication, 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 and that's where you build your um, your commitment from your clients to you. Mm. So they know where you stand and you know where they stand. Yeah. We are, after all, not the yeah. we are people. And that's really important to remember. We are people. And we make decisions based sure. upon our human relationships and our history of human relationships, etc. And we will burn you as a, as a supplier or we will lord you and put you on a pedestal, depending on how our relationship goes. People need to understand that, not just sell a product or a service. Mm. And, hey, how about we just take this conversation briefly uh, from that perspective of service, customer service, communication, relationships to the realm of government departments. Now, government departments, yeah. I don't know whether it's health, education, whatever, a lot of them don't believe that they're in any other, that they're in any other business other than what's on their, their shingle, you know, health, education, whatever. Oh, no, we're in, the, we're in the industry of educating people. We're in the industry of health. We're in the... <clears throat> Guess what? You're also in the industry of being in business and in marketing and communicating. You know, I, uh, I've had this conversation a number of times with a number of different government um, people and said, listen, you cannot just send out a message on whatever app or, you know, one-time you know, one message, irrespective of whether it's on app or on email, or whatever. you can't just send out a one-time message and expect to get engagement. Yeah? But you do. You have the arrogance of sending out a message and expecting people to engage with you. Now, if you're in business and you send out one message or do one advert, advert or send out a tweet or a post or whatever, what level of engagement do you expect? People are so, so busy uh, that it stuff flies by on the phone. Yet the government agencies and organisations do that. They haven't yet understood they want to get people working with them, supporting them, it's not a top-down thing anymore. There's, you know, they they have to they they're not addressing the relationship aspect, the communication aspect of what it is that they where it is they add value to their community. You know, the problem we have in that situation trying to convince a government organisation is that you're talking to people whose role is more about their secured income filling that seat, uh, perhaps matching a few KPIs within the organisation but not reaching outside. So you're quite right. But I don't know that there's an awful lot of change happening there. 
I can't see it. They're more monolithic. They're not as agile as, as small businesses or even medium to large businesses. They're far more agile in turning things around. And and some of the some of the digital platforms that these organisations use, the government, are so clunky, which is probably why they only get one tweet out a month because the system won't handle any more than it anyway. It's just don't start me. I was I was a business development manager for an IT company for a while, and um, I kept saying to them, guys, you've got to stop making your platforms, your programs, your systems, your service. Stop making it for geeks and make it for the end user, right? Make it a, 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 a turn and start and then push this and push that. Not have to go through a whole heap of rigmarole and then have it still look ugly and clunky. Geeks are not the ones using your system. And unfortunately, the government departments have got these really clunky, massive systems and they don't have geeks running it. Thankfully, they've got people. But those people don't know how to use it fast. I mean, mm. imagine trying to, you know, you've got a sports car and suddenly they put you in a Mack truck then they, then they tell you to drive it fast. Where are the gears? There's 21 of them <laughs> that I have to go through. You know? So... You can't expect these people who are not geeks to know how to run a clunky platform, and that's what the government do. They spend billions on these clunky platforms. That's, But, of course, you've also got the problem that there's all these people who are just in there for life. They want their income and they do what they have to. I know because when I first left school, I worked for a government department. I could see what it's like. That's why I got out real quick. I didn't want to become another piece of lichen on the desk Mm. Well, imagine though, uh, in, 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 there are a lot of business owners out there as well, right? Who are in similar situation. They go and they 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 go overkill in terms of the amount they spend on their systems, um, and they're they're looking to get as much automation hands off into their business processes as they can possibly get. And in doing that, they're removing the human element. Now I'm not saying don't automate. I'm I'm the I'm one of the greatest advocates of automation and systemization. Uh, the difference is when you automate something in your business, the resort the human resource two things. Sorry, firstly is anything which is client facing or human touching. So whether it's a client, staff, vendor, whatever, anything which is human touching, in other words, interfaces with a human at the at the output side of it. Make that a, a human experience, or even on the input side, make that a human experience, something that it feels good about. And the other thing is the resources you free up. The idea is not to go and get rid of the resources. The idea is not to let them go and do some main mundane thing. The idea is for you freeing up resources so that those people can go and utilize whatever talents it is that they have to the benefit of your business. There are so many businesses who totally missed both of those aspects of automation, systemization, and, you know, they, they lose the communication, they lose the relationship, they lose humanity out of the whole thing. They may as well be government departments. Oh, look, I agree entirely. The whole purpose of, of automation should be to lead you towards more personal interaction, not away from it. But unfortunately, as you correctly point out, um, one particular piece of tech leads to another and leads to another and leads to another and suddenly you're saying, you know, I can go off and play golf or I can do this or I don't have to hire this many people because I've now reduced my costs. But you do that right, at the very big risk of losing your client base because they don't want to talk to a to an automated voice. They want to talk to a person. 
How many times have you rung somebody up and it says, thank you for calling. Press one for such and such. Press two. So you press number four having gone through the first lot and then it says, you have chosen number four. Press one four, press two four. So by five or six levels before you get to a person and then that person is not even here, they're overseas and you can't understand them. Yeah. It just... It, it beggars belief that, that CEOs or business owners think that this is clever. It just really does. That's why a lot of businesses are now moving those sort of uh, call centres back uh, into Australia, reducing that kind of automated system because it is so bloody frustrating. Mm. You just want to spit on the phone. Yeah. Um, there is I, had that, I can't remember who it was with. It was, with, it, was a tel- it was one of the telcos that we used. I um, just can't remember which one it was, so I won't name anyone and, you know, disrespect them. Mm. Um, but it was a telco. Um, and it took like three minutes to get through. Not, not three minutes just waiting. It was three minutes to get through the voice prompts of pushing yeah. up and, and, and putting in account numbers. And I'm pretty fast putting in account numbers, right? It's not like I'm some you know, slow coach. And then I get to the end of that and it was another, you know, it was another three minutes before someone came online. Okay, so six minutes out of my life, I'll never get back. Nonetheless, I mean, really? Really? Uh, and this is a big company. You'd expect the big, and you don't expect necessarily from small companies, right? Although it is possible for these to do, them to do what I'm about to say. But from a big company, you would expect them to recognize my, my caller ID because I call with caller ID on, have their computer system mm-hmm. exactly who I am, right? Know what services I have from yep. them. And instead of asking me all sort of extra, sorts of extraneous questions about services I don't even have, what if they were to simply say, hey, Mr. Langan, welcome back. Um, you know, which of the services that you have, you have this service, you know, if you want to talk to us about your service A, press this, B, press that, C, press that, right? Because they know what I have and it could go more yep. targeted. Or if you want to speak to an operator, press zero. I'd be through in 20 seconds. Okay, then I might have to wait the three minutes anyway, right? But still... I'd be through in 20 seconds. And it's not hard. It's the same as, it's, it's you know, it, there are so many solutions for technology which keep the human human element in place in terms of the human, human contact, just automate the inefficiencies. And that's where we should be focusing in business and in government, wherever. Um, we should be taking the, the mundane, repetitive, uh, non-personal, tasks out of each process and putting yep. systemization in place to take care of that in, in a way which is targeted, focused, understanding who our client is. Now, of course, if I call with caller ID Blockwell, that's my tough teddy. I have to go through the whole rigmarole of whatever. But if I'm known because my phone number is known, or the first thing is, you know, like you call the tax office, put in your ABN or your, or, your, or your tax file number. Well, after I put that in, you should know everything about me. You really should. Yeah. And then uh, and they're doing the voice print thing. Okay, get me to use my voice print, and now you know you can unlock everything. Yeah. Might, might be still a bit risky if I've, you know, been hacked. <laughs> got my voice print or whatever. Yeah, I, read, I read a few of your comments and background in social life, so, uh, yeah, that might be a bit of a problem in some, in some areas. <laughs> anyway. But, look, here's the thing. Those, those very systems you're talking about that are clunky and slow, et cetera, I mean, they're set up by geeks 
right, who want to impress the client who, and answer all of these things that the client thinks they need, and that's because they've been in government for the last 6,000 years and they have no idea about the real world. It's like, look, I'm a musician and I've also got a, an associate diploma in audio engineering, right? And one of the things I noticed when I was doing the course was that I was the only musician. All the rest were tech heads. Right. They didn't have a musician's <sighs> ear. And whenever I go to a, to a gig and I listen to how the, the sound is mixed, I go, I can go, that guy's a musician, whatever it is he plays, but he's a musician, or that guy or that woman is a tech because the mix, it, the balance, the tones, everything's wrong, but they love playing with buttons. It's an engineering um, focus for them, you know? Um, and it's the same with these systems, these computer, these telephone systems you're talking about. They're not invented by people who are people-focused. They're, they're focused on the tech, and yeah. that's where the problem lies. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. it lies there initially, and then, then when it comes to someone acquiring the service, right, acquiring the assets or the service or whatever else as the business owner, the CEO, the whoever, now it's a question of what are the business requirements and and the god honest truth about most businesses are you know there was the whole in in the, in the beginning people talked about online ux or user experience and now the buzzword is cx customer experience for for over two decades i've always talked about the total quality of the experience so across the entire landscape of your business mm. that includes the customers it includes your staff as well as your vendors you know People who know me know that I say, listen, you can't expect your, your staff to give your clients awesome experiences when you don't give a crap about how they feel about it. And so, because they won't do it for very long. And um, whoever buys these systems either isn't being informed, either isn't ac uh, ac you know, asking the right questions and getting enough information to understand what it can be doing because they're just buying a system to answer one small requirement and therefore they're not designing the implementation or having the implementation designed in a way where where it addresses multiple um possible business functional business functional requirements right so and 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 that comes also back to they're not uh, they're not thinking in terms of reframing or what we call in total qs reimagining you know they're not reimagining their how their business could be done and then asking okay how can we complete it because it's a bit like when microsoft um so Microsoft, 2000, uh, Microsoft Office 2000 came, was coming out. Microsoft mm -hmm. went out and polled a whole bunch of people who had 97 and said, or was XP, whatever it was, and said, um, you know, what is it you'd like to see in the next version? And the stats came back that something like all but three or 4% of the feedback already existed in the current version. So all they need to do is slap a new wallpaper on, change the icons a bit, had a little bit of functionality, and they had the new product. And that's probably true of most people's business, by the way. If you want to launch a new product, you're probably doing a whole bunch of stuff that people just don't know about, and you can reframe it, and you've got a whole new product. Speaking um, today to an amazing lady, um, JJ Ferrari, and she was saying that you can just change five, and it's true, you just say five five things and you've got a whole new product, a whole new book, a whole new audio, a whole new um, training program, whatever. Change five. Yep. She's right. Yeah, I digress. Exactly. Okay. You know, there's, there's a woman I'm working with at the moment and she's uh, a remarkable woman. She was actually a, a documentary filmmaker and um, uh, war correspondent. She was in Nicaragua. 
and she uh, actually broke the uh, the, uh, the um, CIA contra deal that was going on at the time, which, which made her a bit of a target for a number of years. So she's been around, she's, and she's been lauded in New York at uh, doc, you know, film festivals and all that kind of stuff, and won. Remarkable. But she now has these these various products that are. Um, uh, based upon you know, things like colloidal silver and, and uh, omos and, 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 and uh, all this uh, myrrh, frankincense and, and lavender and stuff, but they're really effective. Right. Really, I've been using them, right? I've been using the face cream. Look. Mate, you obviously works. I, I use all of worried. <laughs> Brad Pitt's getting worried, let me tell you. But uh, <laughs> but my point is, um, she is not reinventing the wheel, but I'm helping her to understand how maybe that product doesn't quite fit that market, we can move it over here. One of them, for example, I've now said, that's actually better as an auto cologne for cars because you've got like 10 million cars in this country and a lot of them stink. And, you know, 50 years ago, a product came out called auto cologne. It'll little yellow bottle with red writing. You may have seen it. It'll pump bottle. Was that the it, one that was like the market leader? Yeah, yeah, it was not a good smell. But a lot of people loved it. I don't know why, and I can't understand. I thought it was just urine. But anyway, it, it was the market leader for like 35, 40 years, from the late 60s until recently. Um, if you get in that market. So I'm helping her to understand that you have a product, but now you've got to find out from people, where can that product best fit? Rather than just slap it at people and say, this is it, you must buy it because this is what I've said, ask them. Go out and poll people, find out. And so we're going down that marketing road right now. Well, we were until the police said, no, you can't go walking in the parks. Oh, yes. <laughs> so that's put on hold for a little while. But uh, we were getting some good feedback. No, you can go walking to people. Just take your checkbook with you. And pay the cops. Well, the that's not what you're suggesting. Surely online. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> no, not in that sense. Pay <laughs> when you get the fine, get ready to pay. You know, <laughs> I could say take it. Oh, bill. I see. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know how your mind works, sunshine. Mate, I'm not saying we have the best police force money can buy at all. That's nothing. Not what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> there was just, uh, I know that the, in New South Wales, at least, the police commissioner himself has said, oh, I'm, uh, I'm going to review every, every ticket that's written. I sure hope he's got a lot of extra hours uh, in his agenda because I'm sure he's going to need them. And uh, it's probably... Look, if you believe that, if you believe that, I've got a bridge for sale. Well, the one crossing the Hudson. A massive bridge going cheap. <laughs> Money raiser too. Goes from, goes from Brooklyn, I think, doesn't it? Uh, across the water, yeah. But oh, um, no, this one goes from uh, from uh, Piermont or Circular Key over to North Sydney, actually. Oh, oh that's a good one too. Yeah. Do <laughs> mm. I get the revenue from it as well? Toll. Yeah, you can get money off it too. You got tolls on it. Excellent. I sell it to you cheap. <laughs> Look, I've known. Listen, I've known you for almost fourteen years. That's right. You know yeah, that. Long time, mate. Long time. About fourteen years. I first met you in. Uh, PJ Gallagher's at Parramatta. That's right. And then we met up the cross. Yeah. Shh, shh. 
Or was that no, was we post- had coffee. That was post-Nifty Never Era. <laughs> My point being, I know how you think. Mm. This is true. I've been following you for a long time, Sunshine. Yeah, let's not let everyone else know how I think quite yet. They can they can discover that as we go forward. Oh, I'd, I'd never share that. I wouldn't want to destroy your career, but I could. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I've been following you for a long time because you're a good source, eh? Oh, thank you very much, mate. Thank you. And, and you know what? Um, I'm an easy target for a lot of people because I'm just open and transparent. And if people want to attack me, knock themselves out, you know? Look. One of the things that you do is to start, one of the things I'm trying to get all the Muppets around me to do is to start thinking for themselves, right, rather than following the latest trend, the latest guru, whatever. Start asking the question, why, why not, what if, start thinking for yourself. If you've got experience, if you've got years on this planet, you've also got a thing called intuition, you've got a brain, Ask questions, but stop, for God's sake, stop following the latest leader who wants to give you the latest little bit of fluff. Yeah, I think that's That's what I respect about you. Oh, thanks, mate. I was was going to say, I think that's one of the best things that is going to come out of this whole, you know, shutdown, COVID, whatever, um, is that uh, there is a new generation of people coming out, coming forward, who are worthy of being followed. And it's, yes. and it's not necessarily the ones who have been at the forefront until now. They're the ones who, who talk straight, candid, open, no fluff. You know, we know, you and I both know a number of them. Um, and yeah. they're open, honest, and transparent. Um, and it's what's needed. It's, you want to build trust with people. You want to get influence over people. Firstly, uh, do stuff which is trustworthy. And... Um, Communication is one of the key. We're <laughs> coming back to what you said earlier. You're absolutely right. Communication is the is, is one of the keys to to building trust. You know, if you if you can say, you can say one thing, and leave out half the story, but it, it's that it's that it's that rest of the the context which leaves all these question marks open for people and starts to build distrust. So if you're going to do something, um, uh, you're going to say something, then tell the whole story. I was. Um, one of the things we do in sales, or we, we, we trained our people back way back when and all, all the way through in sales is um, show someone the whole chain and then sell them the first link. And part of that, you know, part of why people mistrust salespeople is because they're just being sold the first link and they don't see the whole chain. And it's the same thing in most businesses, most government, whatever. Sell them the chain, sell them the first link. Let them see where the see the big and, and it has a there's another side to that. Showing them the whole chain buys them into the big end picture. Right? Yep. They're, already, they're already talking themselves through what it looks like to own that chain. You know, there's the whole psychology of public declaration and, and even if it's just a private public declaration in their own head. But uh, the so there are the two aspects to it. One one of the great aspects is it builds trust, and you're going to have greater ability to influence people. So anyway, again, I think I've digressed. Sorry about that. And, that's a, and you're quite right. I, when I when I joined Bartercard 10, 12 years ago, I had to learn word for word a forty minute spiel. Okay, forty minutes. It took forty minutes with diagrams and pictures and six by fours and well, the whole bit. And 40 minutes. Now, it's impossible, unless you're Billy Connolly, 
to engage somebody for 40 minutes on a sales pitch, okay? And after six months of, of failing time and time again and getting just enough bites to put fuel in the car through commission, I realised I could do exactly the same thing. I can show you how Buttercar works in five minutes. And you go, shit, that's a no-brainer. And it did. Suddenly it took off because I was no longer using, can I say, Alan Peace? Yeah, go. Um, no longer using scripts. I wasn't using a script any longer. I was responding to a person's desire not to sit there for forty minutes and have me diagram it, diagramate a complete setup and speak for forty minutes, and turn pages and point it out and turn pages and point it out and draw pictures. Did it in in, in five minutes. So I could show them what it, what it was. You like you said, I got them to buy the first link. Everything else will come from that. We can then talk about other things and how to expand the, the value of barter card to you. But right now, this is how you use it in basic terms. Bang. Suddenly I was getting uh, client after client after client. Yeah. And that's, and that's, that's because I was uh, yeah. That example with barter card, and I know barter card's not MLM. It was a great, great business. Um, it's a great business. Because uh, I actually had um, back in '94, '95, had an online barter exchange. Um, was just be we actually launched before barter barter card in the US. But um, it's one of the, that that whole presentation, turning pages after pages after pages, and drawing diagrams is one of the reasons why the MLM network marketing, whatever you want to call it, industry has suffered, especially in countries like Australia, um, because there are so many people just learning how to turn pages. I mean, I'm, I'm no longer in MLMs, or I, I was years ago. Whereas, um, but this it's not about that. But ML, because because the system of network marketing is not bad. It's the people again who make it pretty crappy because mm. they learn how to turn a page, they learn how to draw a diagram, and they just do it ad nauseum. And they're not they're just acting like goddamn robots doing that and and spewing this yep. stuff over people without listening. To what the people are saying without asking the questions and it's like a 40-minute spiel where three minutes the client is or the prospect is saying something and 37 minutes they're just yapping about how great this damn product is and how someone you know how some monk got up at three o'clock in the morning to you know, hike up the himalayas and scrape the moss off a rock or something and and it becomes unbelievable the the, the trust is immediately lost yep. and 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 the real big the real big thing here the, the bottom line is that when you do that, what you're doing is selling features, not the benefits, mm. okay? And honestly, yeah. people don't want to know about features. Sorry? Not the, and certainly not the value. No. They want to know the value and they want to know the benefits, right? The features can come later. We can run them through the, for the want of a better term, the user manual, you know, the owner's manual later on. But here's the benefits and here's the value. And unfortunately, so many, just look at car ads. It's all about features. It's not about, it's fun, although Suzuki does, they've got that, it's fun to drive, you know? Uh, everything else is about connectivity or reversing camera. And, and who gives a crap? I love driving. Give me a car that I enjoy. Yeah, so here's, here's, here's the thing. Yeah. So, any, any car company, Honda, Lexus, whoever, Maybach, whatever. Imagine, you know, they all have their features list. Here's, you know, is, 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 this, is this model and there's this variant of the model, right? There are three variants and they do their comparison tables, whatever. What if instead of talking about a rev reverse camera? Yeah, this has a reverse camera. 
tick. Who gives a shit? Okay, it's got a reverse camera. Neocortex tick the box, right? Fine. Because it's a bullet list, we're neocortex. What if they yeah. were then what if they were to transform that, reimagine, reframe that in the limbic space? And um, instead of just oh, there's, you know, okay, there's a rear camera, tick the box. Using our XYZ, you know, uh, you know, high definition reversing camera, you're going to be able to keep your family safe when you reverse the car out of a car. You know, I'm, I'm not coming up with the right text here, but I'm sure some marketing guru can come up with a better text than I can, right? What if, what if they were to reframe every little feature they have into a value statement which connects with the person? Yep. Right? How much cooler would it be to look for cars or bicycles or any damn thing if the features yeah. were framed as value statements? Question well I'll go even further. I remember a few years back, and I can't remember the book now, but it, it related a story. <clears throat> this was in the 60s in America, and this guy happened to be the number one, the top shelf car salesman for Ford dealerships. And um, he was giving a talk about how somebody came into him one day and he was asking about horsepower and torque and stopping distance and brake size. He said, look, I don't know any of those answers. If you want those, I can take you to the service department and the service manager can help you. All I know is when I'm driving down the highway at 55 mile an hour with the roof down, I feel like a king. He sold the car. It's about the, the benefits and the value, not the features. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's not so much now, but for a long time, um, computers was all about features. It was not about benefit. Cameras, it's all about features. It's not about benefits of point and shoot or whatever. It's all about f-stop, speed, focal point, yada, yada, yada. I don't, I don't do photography, so I don't know. But it's all about features, features, features. And now cars have become the same. And I think that happens with commodities too, just in general. Washing machines is all about features now, not benefits. So once something becomes a commodity, you've lost the, 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 the sales point of benefits. It's all about features because you know you're competing with features against features, and I think it's a wrong tack to make. Yeah, go back to benefits and value. This is good. They don't think they don't imagine the value that they offer, and they deliver, mm. and they then they then create a commodity out of whatever it is they have. Yeah, I mean, just think about internet for example, right? If internet service providers, all I've been around the internet since you know ages, and the first modem I had was like a twelve hundred baht modem, right? one one mm. point <laughs> kilobyte. Right? Um, um, it was about this size, um, but all the numbers of how fast and all the rest of it is. Most people don't understand. They just see a big number. It's like watching the damn coronavirus numbers. <laughs> we hit a million. I was I posted last night, you know, like uh, it was at 950,000. I thought, well, should I let it tick over to a million? No, bugger to go to sleep, right? It's like watching, waiting up for the yeah, ball. I saw that post. Yeah. <laughs> it's like waiting for the ball to drop on Times Square, New Year's Eve. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, um, you know, um, Everyone's, everyone's going for big numbers. And I swear there are a lot of people out there just looking at the coronavirus, coronavirus stats, waiting for the bigger numbers. And so the, the people, you know, psychologically, all the marketers are playing to that. 
and they're talking big numbers in terms of data and online time and, and download and shit like that, as opposed to, especially right now, when everyone's online, or most people are online, and most people are using video conferencing in some form, what we need is, yes, we need bandwidth. Yes, we need speed. Like, I'm sure we've had a few hiccups there. We know we've had a few hiccups here with the speed, right? Um, so, yes, we need speed. Yes, we need bandwidth for that. Um, what we need and what I would be sold on is a guarantee of a reliable service which allows me to stream my video uninhibited, you know, whenever I need to, whether uploading at a promised level. Uh, yeah. So, you know, imagine if, just again, internet, right? If internet service providers will actually bring in a service level agreement, an SLA for home users. Right? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's dangerous ground for them, isn't it? You know, like because they, they make big bucks off SLAs in uh, in in corporate, right? You pay through the nose. You know, um, everyone in the home gets three nines, and everyone thinks, oh, ninety nine point nine percent uptime. Yippee! Well, do the calcs. It's actually not a lot of. <laughs> there's a lot of lot of time when you can be down, and there's and and the uptime is just an uptime guarantee, not a speed guarantee, because they 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 mm. average, right? Imagine if you had an SLA. A service level agreement, as whether it's residential or business or big corporate, had a, an SLA for both uptime, which was like five nines, right? Which means ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time, you can do the maths yourselves, uh, and a minimum <laughs> speed level, which it wouldn't matter what that speed level was, because they'd set it at such a point where it, they can guarantee that the quality of your upload when you're doing video conferencing or whatever, sending, you have to send video out, so you're uploading, or whether you're watching your Netflix or you're downloading or whatever, that the quality of the connection is always going to be enough and it's not just because one person's on the network. You know, like we have, I looked at my, my, my Google Wi-Fi app on my phone earlier, we have like 13 devices on our network, right? <laughs> That's crazy. Really? Yeah, I mean between between the, the Google Home Assistants and displays and the Alexas and you know the Amazon Echo Dots and the, the TV and the laptop. I mean, how much porn can you download? I know, which is why I'm banging on about the bloody speed. I'd like to be able to download porn faster. Let's be honest. I'll be <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to do with Google conferences. But here's the thing: you're talking now about a very large conglomerate, right now. It's clear to me and clear to anybody that's got even two cells between the ears that a large conglomerate, we're not talking medium-sized business or small business, we're talking the large businesses, their only concern, their sole concern is the shareholder. So reduce cost, get the shareholders' money quicker and better so that our, our uh, stocks are worth more. They don't really give a tinker's cuss about the retail customer or the the business customer or the wholesale customer. They only concern, their only concern is the shareholder. Now, so that's a whole different level and really not a market we're dealing with. But don't get me on my bloody soapbox on that side of things because that's where I see. We'll save that on a whole new next week. No, maybe. Because I, I don't know that it's relevant to your to your client base or to our client base. You know, it's it's... They're a, a whole nother stratum. No, but who gives a shit? I mean, seriously, man, we're, we're, we're not we're, we're here just having a conversation, you know. The client base will find us, you know, and, and, and quite frankly, though, whether or not it's relevant, 
let the, the people will decide because there's, you know, I know that you know this because you've been in the same space as I have, big corporate and, and all the way down to, to, to small business. You know, the, um, I've, yep. I've, I've been at, um, consulting at board level of Euroclear Bank, which is a $540 trillion mm. clearinghouse, Microsoft Financial Services in Maya, out of the London operation, um, ABN AMRO, Aegon, big financial services companies and, and software companies, right? And um, there are lessons to be learned in big corporate, big enterprise that small business really needs to know and they can end, have the ability now more than ever, have the ability, it's one of those now more than ever sayings, by the way, now more than ever have the ability to implement similar strategies that big corporate implements because the systems and services are available. And when they do, they're going to make, make big leaps and bounds. So small, medium enterprise, are most certainly going to benefit from any any experiences you and I have in that space. The flip side is this: big corporate, big enterprise are a bit like a huge oil tanker, it's, and as opposed to a, a Reva speedboat, right? They're a little bit slow in turning and maneuvering. Can be, can be, mm. and where I can found, be invariably yes, and and where I found my greatest value was always added with those huge companies was the fact that I was more entrepreneurial. I really didn't give a rat's ass what people thought about me, and I was more entrepreneurial, mm -hmm. more flexible in my thinking, and, and uh, my ideas quite often came across very radical for them, and when they embraced them, invariably they were able to make change. Now, also invariably they'd make it, you know, they'd adapt to their own way and they didn't implement it 100%, but they were able to make some significant gains compared to the way they were being before that. Yeah, look, I think there are there there is a um, there's a number of books out there and a number of teachers and people like yourself who are, who are going to these larger organisations and showing them that they have individuals within their their operation that can operate as what's the term intrapreneurs rather mm -hmm. than entrepreneurs, and that they can help them to become at least a little more agile in changing to the market's demands and needs and and upping their skills in that area. But by and large, as you said, they don't like change. They just like to be uh, – well, they, they do like change. They like to downsize. They like to reduce um, wages because they see people as um, uh, a negative rather than an asset. They're a cost rather than an asset. Mm. When, in fact, all that experience in that business is a massive asset. If it's not being utilised properly, don't blame the people on the floor. Blame the ones up top. And also, you know? people leave. Have you have you captured the knowledge from those people in a brain's trust in the organisation, or are they just leaving with what they know? Yeah, usually it's the latter. So anyway. We just got to remove that focus off the um, uh, the value presented to uh, shareholders and put the the focus back on to building a shinier business, a hmm. business that actually does what it's supposed to do. And everything else, when you build it, they will come. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, <laughs> Wayne's world. <laughs> um, you know, and, and ultimately, when you do that, the investors are going to benefit because you continue. That's that's the sustainable side of the business. That's that's building a sustainable business when you're focusing on the people who are paying the bills, right? And the people who are servicing the people paying the bills. So your staff, or well, firstly the clients followed directly by the staff and then the senior management and the shareholders will be rewarded as a, as a direct result.
real simple, yeah. real simple stuff. Just um, get back to why, why is the company in business in the first place? Hmm. <laughs> you know, it's not about shareholders. It's about um, the, 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 the life and the blood of the business is its widgets or its service and its customer base and being competitive with other people in the same space. That's what a business does. Being um, a money pit, uh, sorry, a source of money, a source of income for your shareholders, that's not a business. Yeah, you know? I agree. I was living Probably what was that? You, you went mumbly. I said, it's, I've just noticed we've been going for about 70 minutes now. Probably time we uh, we signed off for today and come back again and do this all again next week. Maybe we should just have a whiskey with us next week. What do you reckon? I think that's a damn fine idea. And and I didn't even get, not even once today did I get particularly un-PC. No, no. You know, I mean, we've, we've just screwed our entire marketing. Yes, I know. I know. I'm going to have to get on top of that. I'm trying to be all very proper. My initials might be PC, but I can tell you right now, I ain't PC, Sunshine. No, I know. I found it doesn't work. This, this is this is why I love this particular um, FB Live and, and and broadcast series that we're doing, because it lets mm. us. I am the way I am anyway, right? It's just we all know that when we're talking in a limited space of time about a specific topic, we're doing our best to provide all of the relevant you know, bits and bobs and bells and whistles. This is just this is just um, a series of you know, in case you're still hanging around, <laughs> seventy minutes in. This is a series where Patrick and I just get together and we're going to talk straight to you about a whole bunch of topics. If you want to be part of it? Please leave comments. Please uh, uh, PM us or whatever email. Wherever you see the uh, you know, comment, wherever you see the video, uh, and and if you want to come on, you can come on, and uh, whether it's just for the whole thing or just for a part, we're more than welcome uh, someone else to come on and have a chat with us, and we'll be glad to either dissect or just to uh, have further discourse with three of us. You know, Menage has always been one of my favourites, but um, <laughs> I laugh at that for two reasons. One, because you just said it, but two, it reminds me, I used to be a, a semi-professional 10-pin bowler. And um, I had, uh, there were two teams that I was a regular part of. There was a doubles team, and we called that Swaz on Earth. <laughs> and the other team was a was a three-up team in a, a tri-team. It was called Menage a Trois. Oh. And people would look at me and go, what's Manager Choice? What the hell's Manager Choice? <laughs> That must have been the 70s, was it? Or <laughs> the late 80s? The 80s. Yeah. The 80s. Yeah. Mm. Quite God. successful, but uh, it was funny, looking at people's reaction. Soiks and Newf? They had no idea what it was. Anyway. All right, mate. All listen, right, buddy. That's, uh, that's been great. Thanks, everyone, who uh, tuned in. And if you have comments, like I said, leave them. Uh, if not, don't. Uh, we'll be back. We're going to be back on Thursday or Friday. What do you reckon? Well, we'll, we'll be back next week. You'll see. You'll see it on there. And uh, yeah. um, when you see us go live, just tune on in and uh, or tune out. We're here. We're going to be talking. <laughs> and we we'll look forward. Sounds to like something from the seventies, you know. Get yeah. high and tune out. You know. <laughs> the Seinfeld's on the show, mate. It's all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, mate. You take care. All, all right, right, buddy. Have a good one. Take care. And stay safe.